Hi, I'm Chashank Bhargav and you're listening to Three Things, the Indian Express news show. On Monday, the government released the latest estimates for India's economic growth for the last financial year that ended in March 2021. And according to it, India's GDP contracted by 7.3% in 2020 to 2021. And this is significant because for years, starting from the early 90s till the COVID pandemic hit, India on average actually grew every year by 7%. But it's not just the pandemic that is to blame here. India's economy has been in a bad shape for some time now. In his recent piece for the Indian Express, Udit Mishra explains that the economy has actually been steadily worsening under the Modi government, which last week completed its 7 years in power to show this udit in his piece looked at five different metrics in this episode he joins us to talk about these metrics and the various factors that have impacted the indian economy in the last 7 years udit when the modi government first came to power at the center in 2014 it had talked a lot about the economy vikas and acche din So could you talk about what were some of the things that were said back then and what were the expectations from this government See on the face of it Prime Minister Modi came to power with the agenda of right of center economics and that basically meant that as he has also mentioned minimum government and maximum governance which was to say that the government would retreat and allow private sector to take the commanding heights of the economy the leading role in the economy but to be fair mr modi did promise everything to everybody and that was his political strategy to win the election so at that time everything was promised from orop one rank one pension to the servicemen to higher msps to farmers to lower prices you know lower inflation to consumers lower fiscal deficits reforms everything was promised to everybody however in the popular imagination it was thought that here we are getting a prime minister who would finally listen to market forces and will prioritize on economic growth and um, this was is oddly enough this was in stark contrast to how prime minister manmohan singh was seen towards the end of his uh, tenure as the prime minister when he had come to power it was seen that we finally got a top notch world class economist and uh, the indian economy would now be at a different trajectory and for a while it appeared like that but then it all faltered mr modi with his credentials of being a chief minister in gujarat which grew fast as a state was seen as the a pragmatic answer to india not having the ability to grow fast at a sustainable rate so that was the idea when he became the prime minister And in your piece one of the things that you point out is that PM Modi has been in a very unique position in terms of the powers he has. You write that he has enjoyed the comfort of a single party majority in the Indian parliament and that has happened for the first time since the start of the economic reforms in 1991. So being in that kind of position what kind of advantages does it give a party? So since the reforms started in 1991 India has always had a political establishment where the leading party was in minority on its own whether it was congress or even the bjp and mr atal bihari vajpayee and even the congress party under uh, manmohan singh 
And that basically meant that there were a lot of pulls and pressure, which are typically associated with coalition politics. So on a lot of policies, the government could not go the whole hog. For example, they had some notions of labor reforms or land reforms. They were all scuttled because some other constituent of the coalition government may not have agreed to that. And for a very long time, it was argued that until unless India gets over the line in terms of this coalition politics and really has one party majority, we'll never be able to finally decide as a country in a cogent, coherent manner. And under Mr. Modi, uh, both in 2014 and with increased mandate in 2019, we finally saw the people of India reposing tremendous faith in his leadership and saying that you go ahead, we believe in what in what you can provide to the country, the kind of leadership, and in your version of where India can go. And uh, we are giving you all the votes you require to go ahead and fearlessly take the decisions that you need to take. And that was a massive difference. And I think that is why you can see, at least on paper, a lot of things have happened. For example, a GST or a, the IBC or even demonetization, the way it happened, typically... I would not imagine such a thing happening in a coalition government. So that did give him a lot of power and that continues to be the case even today. Okay, so now to judge how the Indian economy has fared under the Modi government, you looked at five different things, things that are considered the so-called fundamentals of the economy. You looked at GDP, unemployment, inflation rate, fiscal deficit and the value of the rupee against the dollar. So let's talk about GDP first. It is often considered one of the most basic things to judge an economy by. So could you talk about just why that is the case? So in the last few years, GDP has been reviled a lot. A lot of people have put a lot of questions on GDP as a measure. But the simple truth about GDP is that it's a very basic metric of judging economic activity in an economy. It's a gross domestic product. It is basically the market value of all finished final goods and services that an economy produces. And it's important because it then gives you the base around which you can give estimates of everything else. So when we talk about fiscal deficit, which is government's borrowings or allocations to different schemes, we can always peg it to the total GDP of the country, defense budget or whatever. And it then becomes like the basic metric around which every other thing can be mentioned. That is the importance of GDP. It is also the most widespread of the accounting measures. So it's an year-round thing. You can compare it across years and decades. You can compare it across countries. And its use, its ability to be used in different analysis is what gives it so much value. Per se, GDP is nothing too nuanced. but it being a very simple, straightforward measure is what actually makes it such a useful measure. So how has India's GDP fared in the past seven years? So we've always had, obviously, data for this, but it was very interesting to find that the RBI's annual report, which came out on May 27th, they actually did an analysis where they looked at the turning points of GDP cycle. And so over the last 10 years, what they have shown, and we've carried that chart in our story, is that the last deceleration that has happened is actually since the November 2016 period. So actually, the growth deceleration that India is seeing 
has been happening since November 2016. And that is essentially the time when demonetization was announced. And there is enough and more evidence to prove how demonetization triggered a collapse in the Indian economy because it hit the informal sector. And it was also very interesting to find that the previous increase, the upswing, actually started in the middle of early 2013, so almost a year before Mr. Modi took over. When he took over, there was an upswing happening. And then after a couple of years, the decision to demonetize was taken. And it turned out to be a really bad one because since then, the economy hasn't recovered. With every passing year, it has very seriously lost the momentum. And this we are saying even without the COVID pandemic. Because in 2016-17, we were growing it over around 8.3 or something annual rate. And by 2019-20, which is March 2020 ending, that year we grew at just about 4%. So until then, COVID had not hit us. So we had already lost half of our growth by that time. And we were really looking at a very stark scenario. COVID in many ways has just in some ways has masked the that existing weaknesses in the Indian economy. And we must not forget it. It's very crucial to understand. Okay, so demonetization was a major event that caused this deceleration. What kind of impact did GST have? So GST actually compounded the problems for the informal sector that were already created by demonetization. Demonetization was a massive adverse impact. And GST compounded that because it raised the cost of compliance of trying to fit into the formal sector. And we must understand that 90% of India's employment happens in the informal sector. So GST further, and we must also remember that the GST that we implemented was fairly poorly designed and very hastily administered. So there were a lot of technical glitches and a lot of businesses, even in the formal sector, suffered a lot and they continue to suffer with all kinds of refunds problems and stuff so neither of these which were on the face of it great reforms actually helped the economy they actually broke the back of the informal sector and when talking about the gdp the latest figures were announced on monday we know that india's gdp contracted by 7.3% in 2020 to 2021 so what do these estimates tell us about just where we are headed so I think the biggest issue of worry for Indian economy is that India's private sector consumption, that is the consumption that you and I, the money that we spend for our own personal consumption, and that constitutes around 55% of India's GDP. That element is very weak. India's demand from private consumers has come down considerably. If we actually looked at the per capita level numbers, we are back to the levels of demand that were there in 2016-17, essentially the year when we had demonetization. So what we're basically saying is that we've been pushed back in terms of what we demand by almost four or five years. And um, recovering this ground for the demand to come back, because incomes have also fallen, jobs have been lost. So it's not easy. And if you talk to economists, they'll tell you that it will take several years for India to regain growth trajectory that we had before COVID because uh, we already had a scenario where growth was slowing down before COVID and it was making people indebted and savings were falling, incomes were falling and COVID just destroyed that aspect. And now consumption has fallen to such a level 
and we've been pushed back by four or five years that it may take several years, could be even a decade before we resume the same growth trajectory, which is to say that in the intervening period, we might grow at lower level, 4%, 4.5% annually, as against say 6% or 7% or 8% as we are used to growing. Okay, so that makes it clear that the GDP was significantly impacted in the last seven years. The three big reasons being demonetization, GST, and the COVID-19 pandemic. And so now the next big fundamental we talk about is unemployment. And I think this is one thing that people can relate to at a much more personal level. It is something that affects almost every part of a person's life. So to what extent has unemployment been affected during this period, during these seven years? So this is, I think, the biggest, biggest issue with the Modi regime. And I think if when people will look back, they'll think of unemployment as the biggest failure in these seven years, at least. We have many research and studies now showing that between 2012 and 2018, we actually saw for the first time in independent India, total employment coming down absolute number of people employed came down. So there is one thing which is to say unemployment levels. I'm saying even the total number of employed people, absolute numbers came down. In six years, so many people would have joined the labor force, but even so the employment levels fell. And then there is the issue of unemployment, which is to say that people are asking for a job and not getting it. Those levels were around 2-3% in 2012. And by 2018, they had risen to around six, six and a half percent, which was like 45 year uh, high. And since then, 2017-18 onwards, we've roughly stayed at that six, seven, eight percent level of unemployment, which is almost like two, three times what we were used to when just before Mr. Modi took over. And COVID obviously made it considerably worse in many places, in many states, in many age groups, unemployment levels have just soared. I was doing a story on uh, Haryana some time back, which had a new law. And for the age group of around 20 to 25, the unemployment levels were around 83 odd percent, which is to say that eight out of 10 young boys or girls between 20 to 25 years of age were not getting a job when they were asking for it. So the distress level of unemployment in India is absolutely unprecedented and it's genuinely a cause of worry for everybody looking at it because it can lead to social unrest. And are there any measures that experts say that the government could have taken or still can take to help with this problem? So one of the data that came out was that manufacturing. Under Modi government, we've heard so much about manufacturing, about make in India and how we would want to improve that and manufacturing in any case even before the Modi government's time was always seen as this sector which would absorb excess labor from agriculture. Manufacturing can take labor from agriculture because it can use less educated labor as against say services which often requires a certain amount of skilling and certain amount of levels. But between 2016 and 2020 manufacturing lost half of its jobs. So that says something about Make in India and the government policies. And the reason why that happened is that we were talking about this to some of the economists who are tracking this. And in fact, Mr. Panagriya, who was earlier the head of Niti Aayog, also recently said that. It's because Modi government is making the same mistakes 
in terms of industrial policy that some of the earlier governments have made, which is to say that they are focusing more on capital intensive firms instead of labor intensive firms. So if you can employ a lot of people making leather shoes, then you'll be prioritizing that. Instead, what is happening is that we might be prioritizing subsidizing or giving incentives to firms which are maybe producing chemicals, which is a very maybe a more capital intensive industry. So as a result, we've seen that all our labor intensive sectors like textiles, they've lost millions of jobs just in the matter of three, four years. Leather industry, textiles industry has just lost millions, millions of jobs. Okay, so we talked about GDP, which has been significantly impacted and unemployment, which has gone really high. And now we come to the inflation rate. Now, this is again something that has remained high for some time now. But when we talk about inflation rate, how much is it in the hands of the government? How much of what the government does affects the inflation rate? In the first few years of the Modi regime, they were terribly lucky because international crude oil prices fell quite remarkably. Between 2011 and 2014, which was possibly the toughest phase for the UPA government under Manmohan Singh, because they were facing a lot of opposition and every month they were finding some, they were tripping on some mistake or the other. That time, oil prices were around $110 per barrel. And as soon as Mr. Modi took over, it so happened that international crude oil prices started falling, which obviously had nothing to do with India. But we benefited immensely because crude oil is one of the basic costs built into the whole economy. And because we have 80-85% of our crude oil demand is imported, it's a huge factor. So if in that factor, the prices fall so sharply from 110 to 85 in 2014, and then over in 2015 and 2016, they fell to almost like $45, $50 per barrel. It provided a huge scope for Modi government to bring down the inflation rate. So immediately it felt as if the government has succeeded in bringing down the inflation, which was almost double digit towards the end of the Manmohan Singh government. And it also allowed Modi government to have to proclaim that we have reformed the oil pricing in India, to also put some taxes and earn more money from that and keep their fiscal deficits in control. Right. And that was around one and a half years back. And you write that since that time, since 2019 onwards, there have been a number of reversals. Could you talk about what those reversals have been? So one in particular domestically, what happened was that there were unseasonal rains and food prices started spiking. And there was mismanagement of the food economy. And this for a while, it appeared that these are all transient factors. And by the time we came to 2020 and COVID hit, we realized that our economy was one of those rare economies where despite the demand coming down in the economy, the inflation continued to stay up. So all through 2020 and towards the end of 2019 onwards, all through 2020, we've had a scenario where the retail inflation has been close to 6% mark or higher than that which is basically the highest that RBI can allow it to go or should allow it to go under the norms. And basically, it has to do with, one, obviously, the mismanagement of the food economy, but also, as all of our listeners would be aware, that government, in a bid to raise taxes and get some revenue, 
the modi government in the last one year has slapped a lot of taxes on fuel so almost the basic fuel price is almost half of the price that you and i pay at the fuel station the rest half is actually in the form of taxes that goes to the government and that basically makes the fuel which again is the basic component basic cost across the board everything becomes costlier right and you mentioned that the government is doing that to generate revenue which brings us to our next fundamental that is fiscal deficit which is the condition when the government's expenditure exceeds its revenue how much has the fiscal deficit increased during the modi regime so you know in the past one of the things that you had to admire with the modi government was that even when they had the money they did not go berserk by doling out cash to anybody because they thought that it is important to maintain the fiscal deficit so for a while it appeared as if the on paper fiscal deficit was being maintained but it was sort of an open secret that what they were doing year on year was parceling off their borrowing needs to public sector units which is to say that instead of the government openly taking that loan they will ask a public sector unit to take that loan on their behalf which they will pay back to the unit but it would not appear on their books so when you asked me i could only say that the government's fiscal deficit was x when actually it was x plus 2% so that carried on but finally that reached that uh, the covid impact was such that the finance minister had to come out openly and accept that we have to recognize the true extent of our fiscal deficit and this happened in this year's budget when she said that the fiscal deficit had grown from budgeted number of 3.5% of gdp to 9.5% of gdp now obviously this increase which is threefold almost is not just about the off budget so called off budget items but the off budget items did contribute to something like 2 to 2 to 2.5% of the fiscal deficit so it was a considerable amount of money which everybody knew that the government was hiding and it was really poor on their part to do that and finally it took a covid pandemic and for all numbers to go haywire for them to accept that okay we'll have to admit that we have been taking loans off the books and not showing it on our books okay so we have talked about the first four factors gdp unemployment inflation rate and fiscal deficit which in some ways are all interconnected and now we come to the last factor that is the value of the rupee against the dollar could you talk about what that metric can tell us so dollar versus rupee exchange rate essentially is a way to understand the relative strength of two economies the us economy and the indian economy and when mr modi took over 1 dollar was around 59 rupees and today it's around 73 rupees so which basically means that the dollar has strengthened relative to the rupee and why does that happen it basically means that there are more indians wanting to buy us goods and services than there are americans wanting to buy indian goods and services and that basically captures the relative strengths and weaknesses of the two economies and that is the reason why i included that as one of the fundamental uh, variables that one should track because it gives you a certain sense of where the economy went over the last seven odd years and going back to your first question when you asked what was the narrative when mr modi came it was thought that we would bring rupee to a dollar to around 40 rupees 
or their mark or their about that kind of mark but instead we've just gone the other way and it has become much weaker relative to the dollar so it's clear that in all these five metrics india has fared poorly and it seems like it'll be a while before india's economy gets back to the place that it was 7 years ago and one thing that you talked about is that the consumer demand is really low and right now some private players like the md of kotak mahindra bank has been urging the government to print more money the idea being that since people don't have enough money to spend because of low incomes government can print more money and give it to people and they can spend it and that in a sense will give the economy a much needed boost but can that really work can this really boost the economy so if it was a one off case done for a short period to get out of a crisis it makes sense the problem with this episode or with this instrument is that typically we don't know when to stop when we say we don't know which means politicians don't know because if it is so easy to just print the money and increase and fulfill your short term obligations so the prime minister or the politicians can say that we'll give you so many rupees and print them and give it to people and win an election on the basis of that they would never stop and what would happen is that if it carries on there will be massive inflation in the economy because there's so much money coming into the economy right and this is one of the most basic things that they teach you about inflation in school right is that if everyone had more money then the inflation will go up your money will become less valuable exactly it's like saying that you know if you were to give 5 rupees to everybody in the house or everybody in the colony everybody the price levels just would go up the inflation will go up without necessarily leading to higher productivity so the issue with printing money is not so much whether it can be done or not it is with what happens once you start it there is no way frankly to turn that tap and you're hoping that some politician will work against his own short term interest and say that okay i will not print more money so that's the worry but in the short term yes it makes sense to consider whether you can print or not i am still not sure whether that's such a great idea but this is something that is one of the raging issues of debate today in the world whether the government can actually print more money and get us out of a crisis because across the world many economies are in that state but i would like to actually point out one more thing and that is that even when india grew at 7 or 8% of the annual gdp growth there were millions of indians who lived on in abject poverty and at that time when mr modi came 7 years ago he berated it as a politics of dole he said that giving money to the poor you know is a bad thing it makes them lazy and this is not the way to go and at that time all the businesses also agreed with that today the situation is so bad that even the businesses are saying please give the money to the poor and because they realize that their own business is under threat until unless the bulk of the country revives in terms of demand so there is a certain amount of duplicitous behavior here when we talk about printing money you are listening to three things by the indian express Today's show was written and produced by me, Shashank Bhargav, and was edited and mixed by Suresh Pawar. If you like the show, then do subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. You can also recommend the show to someone you think will like it. Share it with a friend or someone in your family. It's the best way for people to get to know about us. You can tweet us at Express Podcasts and write to us at podcasts at IndianExpress dot com.